Fuck this. I'm going to Boca. Welcome back, guys, to episode nine of Pot of Bing. I'm Vic. I'm Clarence. I'm Justin. I'm Naya. Today we're talking about episode nine, Boca. The air date was March 7th, 1999. It was written by Jason Cahill, Robin Green, and Mitchell Burgess, who we already kind of dissected the last couple of episodes. And this episode was directed by Andy Wolk, his first and only assignment on this show, for Mm. whatever that's worth. HBO synopsis, Uncle Junior enjoys a romantic tryst in Boca with his girlfriend Bobby, not realizing that she's been gabbing to her beauty parlor friends about his oral talents. Meanwhile, controversy arises when Meadows' soccer coach announces he's leaving the school. The title, Boca means, as we know, mouth. And the two, the two storylines are Junior's sex life, yeah. which obviously <laughs> involves a mouth, yeah. and Tony's talk therapy. So the title's pretty loaded. One word, pretty loaded. This episode was not ripe with Vic Reach material, but I do want to say one thing about Vic Reaches, uh, (laughs) and it comes courtesy from our best friend who we haven't met yet, but soon will, Soprano's Autopsy. So this episode in particular, he writes a note on idiosyncrasies, which Mm -hmm. I guess a Vic Reach is is a fancy expression for, right? So (laughs) Soprano's Autopsy to the Rescue, he says, all this close analysis of iris transitions and musical scoring probably makes some readers think I should be on OCD meds. Mm. Maybe so, but I'm just trying to get this thing right. So he talks about some esoteric camera tricks that even I didn't really understand. But the point was is that we're turning over every stone. I want to establish something at the outset to you guys. This is a big maybe talking point for discussion. I noticed after watching it for the second time through before we met today that Big Puss is absent for the entire episode. Interesting. I don't think that's incidental given Mm. what we know. Yeah. Coming. Okay, so a couple of quick topics. Not really something that's got any themes or symbols mm-hmm. in it, but do you, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on the cemetery scene besides Livia's greatness. I, I think it was kind of funny that the past two episodes, the first shots of her in both of those past two episodes were of her, were of her reading the obituaries, and then the first shot you see of her in this one is at the cemetery. So morbid. Great yeah. observation. So morbid. Yeah. Are cemetery dogs a thing? I, I don't know. For, at first, my first run through, I wrote down where the dogs come from, but then she says they're cemetery dogs. That was strange. And AJ's got jokes. Hey, Grandma, how come he's not supposed to breathe in the cemetery? Who says? It's a joke, for Christ's sake. Say why. Because don't make the dead people jealous. And Junior is pretty defensive and protective of him. Yeah. There's like this paternalistic, good dad motif. Yeah that John doesn't love so much. But I thought it was a great scene. It sets the show up for for all kinds of interesting things. A location note, that cemetery is a real cemetery. It's uh, The address is 435 Newark Avenue, Jersey City. There are people, you guys, that actually care about these locations. The lucky ones that live around there are probably going and checking them out. So um, if anybody does, go share it on your stories and tag us. We'd love to see. They're probably buying some funeral space right there. Yeah. I thought the dogs, though, like you see Coach Hauser's dog. And also Italians don't love animals. So, and Tony loves animals. So I feel like I like the dogs because she hated them. Do you think that the dog that was in the cemetery was the same dog they cast for Hauser's dog? Probably. And they saved money. For sure. 
quick topic number two, you guys, Junior's lawyer's office. It's mm-hmm. a great scene. It's very Godfather-esque color tones, color palette. But there's two things I want to just run through yeah. real quick. The lawyer tells Junior that his two prior convictions puts him at high risk under the habitual offender statute. And I just wanted to say something real quick about habitual offender statutes. Those are basically statutes that impose mandatory sentences and are sometimes doubly as severe as first-time offender laws. So it's like a big deal. If you do something once and you get caught a second time, they nail you to the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was trying to figure out this whole thing, and I have a question for you guys about this, about like the mob in Florida and the mob in Boca. But I think the two, that using that line was a great setup to send him packing because he can hide in Florida until further notice. And then I love the line, which I've never noticed until this project, which was... Where's the key to the partner's crapper? Top right-hand drawer. Where's the key to the partner's crapper? I did do some research on uh, the mafia in South Florida, and I think that came from uh, Al Capone had bought a mansion in Miami's Palm, South Florida, and it's been a destination for organized crime, I think, just for people that wanted to relax. like to Yeah, is it like their vacation home? Yeah, like when I mean, they're off uh, cycle? <laughs> or they go there for Warm to be weather, less, a lot of wealth, yeah. a lot of opportunity. Uh, why wouldn't the mafia be there? Um, I know the Teflon Don Gambino, uh, John Gotti, maintained a residence in Fort Lauderdale. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like on, on the West Coast, for us, it's like Cabo or Hawaii. And for the East Coast, it's just always been Florida yeah. for weather reasons. But to me, it's just interesting like how they picked and why Boca is a thing. I just, I feel like Boca's old. It's not as hip. Mob bosses and capos are old. And, and Jerry Seinfeld's parents. And Jerry Seinfeld's yeah. parents, yeah. And uh, later on in the series, we'll see uh, a certain character spend some time in Miami as well. That's true. It was, it's interesting. Um, they talk about Junior having prior conviction status in this episode, but later on in the series, not to get too far ahead, but I found a little inconsistency there where Junior's in front of a judge and his lo- had, current yeah. lawyer, Mel, is saying he has no prior convictions. He, he shouldn't be deemed a flight risk. And then we all we all know what happens there with his... Here's another interesting thing about Junior being the head of the family, how bad he wanted it. He knew about his prior convictions. He knew that he would go to jail. That he would be the first one to get caught, but he still wanted the job. Yeah. Kind of like his last, his swan song. Totally. You know? Yeah. When he said this, I didn't know, and I was curious what you guys think. He says, if you can't get your friend's jobs, what's the point of success? And was like, was he being sarcastic? Because he hates anyone else... Like, he, he puts down Tony for getting... He doesn't want anyone else to have... Like, he doesn't want to be guilty. He doesn't want to bend down or anything. Is he being sarcastic? Or no, is I think just, he's being... He's, he's well, being I genuine. think he's being a little cheeky and just talking yeah, about Yeah, but when Bobby push comes to shove, friend. he probably wouldn't want anyone to outshine him. I don't know. I think as long as they're under him and yeah. they're not over... over he's the he boss has, still. He has some sort of... Uh, inferiority like a complex. complex, I think. Yeah, yeah we he's, saw from the dealings with Hesh that he was fair. It took some coaching, but he's reasonable. He was flexing to his lawyer too, which yeah. is reasonable. Like I'm the boss, and if I can't do, if you can't do good things for people, then what's the point? Totally. But yeah, you're right. Like certain him. people he would not do those things for, but Bobby, as we'll talk about later in, in a few minutes, she ha- held a special place in his heart. Sixteen years. Sixteen years. Yeah. Um, so the main topic is an umbrella of a couple of different scenes in the show. Obviously, Boca the nail parlor, the family dinner. John brought this up last week, and family dinners are just going to continuously be a thing where a lot of dirty laundry gets 
aired, and then the golf game. Just some key moments to set up this discussion for the group. Mikey Palmisi gets a personal investigator. Tony learns that from Vin McKazian. I think that was obviously on Junior's order. I don't think he would have done that on his own. Probably upon learning about the therapy, maybe Junior behind the scenes said, hey, let's keep an eye on this guy or let's do something. Mikey tells Junior that Tony's talking to the feds. He's convinced, this is in the partner's uh, crapper, yeah. where, they, where they have he has this sort of heart-to-heart with him, I guess if you want to call it that. Mikey Palmisi has it out for this guy, which makes me think, and I read this somewhere, it wasn't Soprano's autopsy. I can't remember the site I read it on, but there's this theory, I think it was actually Reddit, there's this theory that Mikey and Tony were competing for a girl back in the day. So they've just had it out for each other since the beginning. And Tony obviously won in life. So Mikey just kind of wants him out. And then I like how when Mikey's doing that, you know, trying to get him lined up to get clipped, to use Mikey's word, they hug at the golf course. Your nephew was talking to the feds. I mean, where else would he be going where it requires such uh, precautions? And what the fuck else would be the big secret? What am I, a swami? Hey! Ah. So there's kind of all this tension and sort of behind the scenes, behind your back talking, very Boca-centric. Boca. And then Tony and Junior go at it, which we'll get into, therapy versus, you know, swinging in the rough. Whoa, Junior. Oh, Junior what? Uncle June's in the muff. What? Oh, did I say muff? <laughs> I meant rough. And then Junior, the big thing in this whole sort of segment is that Junior tells Mikey that Tony's seeing a psychiatrist. My nephew is seeing a psychiatrist. Makes me want to cry. No shit. Indictment's being prepared. He's spilling his guts. Fucking knew it. No, you didn't fucking know it. I just told you. So we'll go around. Initial thoughts, comments, observations, Boca, the nail parlor, Mikey wanting Tony dead. Just let's, all of it. This let's whole, start with yeah. the nail. Break it down. The nail par- parlor. And I'd like to defer to the only female <laughs> member of the Potty Bean crew. Yeah, I mean. For me, this episode is a lot of what you talked about, but it is also this weird female empowerment that's been, like, repressed in a way. Like, the nail parlor with, like, girls talking Mm -hmm. and, like, Meadow's friend losing her virginity and then, you know, the whole oral sex conversation and women, like, not asking for it or feeling comfortable. And it's just so interesting because you even see in the nail parlor that the woman says she has to ask for it to her boyfriend. Bobby, you are so lucky with this guy. You have no idea. He's a sweetheart underneath it all. I wish I could get Lou to be like him. More sensitive, if you know what I mean. That coral looks good. I mean, I don't understand why I always have to ask him for oral sex. Not like you and your Corrado. Bibi, listen, I know we always used to yak about our sex lives. I think it would be better if we didn't anymore. Okay. I mean it. Sure. And it's just so crazy because like, it's a very feminist episode in some way. It's a very Me Too episode. It's a very Me Too episode. And it's it's really crazy because, you know, even Corrado says like, I don't make the rules. I found that this episode was Carmela at her most likable. Mm -hmm. Uncle June, how was Boca? Wonderful. I don't go down enough. That's not what I heard. About what? Nothing, I'm sorry, I was 
I don't know what I'm talking about. Just cracking jokes at the table. She was great. I, I mean, I, that surprised me though. Right? Why, yeah, wasn't it? Was it? Out like, of character. it was a. But I don't know. Maybe because it's such an uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Like women are very uncomfortable, and we've been kind of not to get on a whole, you know, no, get thing. On it. But we've been trained to not think that our orgasms are as important as men. And it's more complicated to have oral sex on a woman than a man. I felt like when I watched this, it was so crazy how it was like, the priority was that Tony was outed in some regards to talking like in the therapy thing. Mm. But there was also this like coming of age females who actually usually talk too much. Bobby talked too much, you know, she opened her mouth too far in the nail salon, which is like a very pivotal scene. Her telling her not to talk actually yeah. made that yeah. person talk yeah. even more. Mm -hmm. Reverse psychology that yeah. went against her. I felt really bad for Bobby. Yeah. She, she's such a sweet girl. Sweet, sweet girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, great lines at the dinner table. Um, I loved that during that exchange, Livia was stuffing her face. Yeah. I love the it's choice so to cut to Livia eating while they were having this like innuendo yeah. conversation. Well, there's a, an ongoing thing with the hot red peppers too. I know. Um, I love tell that. Me. Besides Bobby, it seems Corrado has a taste for hot peppers and it's a food that's believed to boost uh, sex drive and Perfect. performance oh. by increasing Perfect. the blood flow and releasing endorphins. And in the scene at the law office, uh, when the sandwiches arrive, someone asks, Who had the pepper and egg? Oh, over here. Peppers and eggs. That's what I should have. And then you also see in bed with Bobby in the afterglow of their, you know, sneezing in the canyon or kneeling at the altar or whatever other euphemism that comes with it. Uh, he's eating red peppers there. And then he's playing with a red pepper on his fork at the dinner table. Mm. So... You want to symbolism Vic Reach on yeah, yeah. Uh, peppers uh, here? I did it. I like it. So someone found a Vic Reach today. That's a great observation. You know, it's a throwaway line, but there's a soprano soundtrack. A season two of the soprano soundtrack is Eggs and Peppers. It's the title of the of the playlist. So it's a That's it's, it. it's a line yeah. directly from yeah. what a junior said. Another great line in this sequence, and this is basically this is just the Boca topic, which is Tony learning something about Junior, and then Junior obviously letting Tony know that he knows something about him as well. June gives head. World class. The old man's whistling to the wheat field. <laughs> don't be disgusting. Oh, he's a bushman of the Kalahari. See, I, don't, I don't tell you anything because you don't know when to stop. And then when Junior is with Mikey in the after the golf game, I guess in the locker room, Junior's talking about the Escobibo brothers. Suppose this shrink gets scared or something. Do you remember those two fucking Escobibo brothers who over to fucking California? They whacked their parents. The shrink was in a fucking witness chair. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, the Menendez a misnomer for the Menendez brothers, but whoever the fuck, right? Yeah. Yeah. The point, the point the is, the point, the reference is brilliant. And even if you are like pop cultural savvy, even in that era, like if you heard that, you would still know that he was talking about the Menendez yeah. brothers. That's how crafty the writing is that you actually know who he's talking about, even though he said the wrong thing. You want to go full circle, and there was a recent documentary or like a remake movie about the Menendez brothers, and Edie Falco plays Amazing. the mother. Of course. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But we don't watch anything with Edie Falco in it, right? We just can't. I can't. I it's can't. Tough. It's tough. Yeah. Also, Reach, tough. the little red pepper is like a charm, an Italian, very traditional charm. It's also like a little horn. Have we seen that in the they, show? I feel like somebody... On the dashboard yeah. in the um, Cleaver movie, it's like a cut oh, where like the blood on the... It, and it means, it's supposed to mean fertility in 
against Amalokia, which is like the evil eye. So like okay. Pepper's horns is actually like a very staple in wow, Italian, fertility. which is very oral things too around that region. Italian knowledge being dropped. Good to have you here. Right? I'm trying. I'm trying to pull my weight. <laughs> there was a Kurt Cobain reference Love at that. the dinner. A girl slits her wrists and all you can think about is a game. Well, it wasn't like freaking Cobain. It was just a little suicidal gesture, that's all. It was a suicidal gesture versus a suicidal that made Meadow quit and leave. That was very topical, and Kurt Cobain was obviously a very influential artist and still listened to his music on the regular, at least in my ears. Some stylistic and technical observations. The location, you know that the opening establishing shot of Boca, where you mm. see the lighthouse, which is very yeah. un-Sopranos-y camera work, that is actually a lighthouse in what is called Hillsborough Inlet, Florida, wow. which is a little south of Boca. And then Waldorf Towers, where Junior and Bobby are staying, is actually in Miami Beach. It's a real place, but it's actually in Miami Beach. Bobby, the Bobby thing kept bugging me. There's only one Bobby in my mind, mm. but this is Bobby Sanfilippo, Junior's love interest. Roberta. Roberta. That woman is not your aunt. That woman is not your aunt. I find it interesting, though, and I'm not giving anything away, but there's two Bobbies in Junior's life. Yeah. Very significant fixtures true, in his life. True. There's a Bobby Sanfilippo, and then there's... Bobby Bacala, yeah. Bacalieri. Mm. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there. You know, I think he was a little harsh on Bobby, but it speaks to this whole notion that I'm going to ask you guys about of it's a big deal, this machismo. And maybe you have like some insight on that as well. Like he's willing to, you're willing to throw away relationships. You're willing to end friendships over maintaining this reputation. Parents, yeah. I mean, yeah, go ahead. I've never heard of that in my life outside of this show, to be honest with you. It's, I think it's a guy thing. There's like factions of guys that are pro and there's factions of guys that are anti. And I know a couple on both sides, but you're right. It's addressed in this show for the first time on a cultural level. It's right? put in a way that it's threatening not only Junior's manhood, but his livelihood and his life. That's the way it's, it's framed because obviously we know what happens later on. Um, we obviously can just make conjecture and say that most likely, they are pretty homophobic in in uh, mob culture, and on and a little so, sexist, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, roles definitely. of the women. But we find out later on that it's a capital offense, and if that's what we can take from Junior being put as somebody who performs that kind of act, and that's what it's related to, then we can say that his life would have been in danger had this have gone out. So it really is a big deal that she was a blabbermouth totally. bleep. Is therapy a bigger deal? Or is it on equal footing? I think it's... E I think it's or is homosexuality it's more, I don't know more taboo? No, I was just going to say therapy, I think, is bad too. It's, it's embarrassing and, like, weak. And to me, oral sex is weak too. And from these guys' perspective... Yeah, I think you know? there's an, another layer to yeah. the therapy part where you're not only perceived as weak but you're also spilling your beans and you're talking out of turn. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. With therapy, Junior's main concern is that Tony could possibly get them indicted for crimes that they've committed. Um, in the case of Bobby, she got a lemon meringue pie to the face, which is a, a lesser sentence for opening your mouth there than it would be airing out your dirty mob laundry to a therapist. To an extent, Junior was pretty gentle with her. All he things considered, her. that beautiful scene at the end, though, when he 
walks out. He didn't want to do what he did. No. You know, it, it was, again, that was a humanizing moment. Sometimes we're going to see glimpses of this, and I guess you could call it a theme maybe. There's moments when these mob guys don't really want to be what they are. Yeah. They want to be regular. 16 years they want is to be a regular long time. Guys. Yeah, a lot he of time doesn't make the rules. The he has to play it, you know. trimming the hedges. I do find it interesting, though, you know, not to dig in more, but Bobby and even the woman in the nail parlor, they're considered, like, forward women by one, accepting oral sex and even asking for it. Because, like, I went and read that most most women compared to men are more ashamed of their bodies, so they don't ask for it and don't expect it as much. And, like, Bobby gets it and likes it and talks about it very comfortably and asks about it. And even the nail girl asks for it, which is very rare just in general. So I think it's cool that David Chase chose to have those women, even if it was not that intentional. Those are very feminist-type attitudes towards she was very sexist. confident with him in bed. Yeah. She asked him, like, what's the big deal? Yeah, she which is, no one yeah. talks about which oral is, sex, yeah. especially the female oral sex. And right. do you think that topic still resonates today? Or that sure. this was a sign of the times? Uh, I mean, this was really, fo- I universe. think that was really forward, you know, ahead even way ahead. Yeah. Because even now, you know, reading about it, I just read most boys under 20, something around there, don't even know women have pubic hair because so much porn, all the women wax and stuff. So it's like just the education and conversations about female body parts isn't even being discussed. And expect expectations. Yeah, expectations. And, and, and uh, like the magazine. Yeah, girls don't know shiny, all these right, girls' vaginas don't really look like this. Right. And they're getting surgeries to change theirs. It's nuts. Crazy. David Chase was a pioneer and a feminist. We'll hold that yeah. thought for uh, yeah, a, couple, a couple episodes later. Um, Does Bobby show up in the prequel? 16 years. Do you think she makes, is she a character in the prequel? I think so. Is it a fair I want to say? see her and Livia in a scene. That would just be, you know, Livia hates her. Because yeah. she's not his aunt. That woman is not your aunt. I was thinking uh, Scarlett Johansson might play a good oh. Bobby. That's a good young Bobby right there. We um, might have to have a pot of being episode where we just cast everyone. We, we recast everybody in the many scenes of Newark. I feel like we should. We would yeah. do a better job. Why do you think Junior keeps bringing up Tony's baseball skills? That when they're standing next to each other at the golf course, he talks about the missed fly ball. He couldn't go out in public afterwards. What is it about this baseball thing? It keeps coming That's back. It's, it's the topic. And uh, I have this with my best friends. We all have certain things that we know will piss each other off. And I think as long as Definitely Tony a trigger. And, and Junior have been around that, when Junior feels slighted or insulted, he immediately goes to an area that you know just destroys Tony. And yeah. you can see it in his face when he mentions Ooh, the the whole day how embarrassed he was. And it was just this back and forth of who can hurt each other's feelings more. I can see that, but I, I think it's even deeper than that. That's, that's where their bond comes from. It's He taught me how to bla- play baseball. He used to throw the ball around with me. He doesn't always use that as a way to insult Tony. He also talks about, you could have made it. You had a swing like Joey D. Yeah, he even says, I taught him games. Yeah. I, I didn't really necessarily make the connection from that that Mikey did, which is you want to clip him, but maybe that's maybe it was the body language. I was surprised how shocked Mikey was about the Tony therapy. being clipped. No, no the, the th- like, oh, you want to clip him? Like, yeah. all that we've seen from Mikey He's in previous episodes bit, that have been like, yeah, let's fucking kill Tony. Yeah. But he didn't seem to be completely on board with the idea. Yeah, maybe he was just met with so much resistance he was surprised to finally get his way. Oh, Mikey, the the scene with him in the locker room, 
he's applying oh, the foot a spray? cream or like an athlete's, athlete's foot, foot spray. Ugh, I hate him so is that much. A, is, that a, is that also like, can you topically apply that for fuckface items? That just makes you hate him more. Oh. He's just gross. And s- I thought it was interesting though that the camera made a choice to show that he was the one applying that to his feet. It just kind of gives you some, some more tacit about information about this character that we all hate. Right? You think tough actin to actin works for fuckface itis? <laughs> we should check with Shaq. <laughs> I smell um, a meme. Good one, right? That's like a subtlety. It's like a t- tiny subtlety. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put the sushi topic to rest. We're going to move Beautiful. on. Or let's move on to the soccer coach, Coach Hauser. Just a quick setup. Meadows' team is successful. There's this really good coach. The parents Falcons. love him. The girls love him. The Falcons. He gets a job offer from a university, University of Rhode Island, which the newspaper actually shows is in Providence, but it's not actually in Providence, so it was just a little bit of a hiccup glitch there. I only paused it on the newspaper because John has now upped his game, so I'm trying to maintain my level here. Tony and Silvio don't love that. They try to keep him. Uh, they try to extort him with the TV um, and various other things. Uh, what Christopher kidnaps his dog. But we find out that he has sex with one of the players on the team, an underage girl, Allie. She ends up cutting her wrists. Any thoughts or observations on cutting? Do you have any thoughts on that? Adolescence is hard. What does Dr. Melfi say? Like, these days, girls are under a lot of pressure. And I mean, I do think it is, there's, cutting is a sign of help or, you know, like suicidal gestures, what she says. And it's, it's sadly pretty common. Any other initial thoughts or comments on the soccer coach before I dive into the specific well, questions? Well, Boca was uh, broadcast in March of 1999, and that was uh, about a year after the former teacher, Mary Kay Letourneau. Do you remember her? Yes. She had been arrested uh, for a parole violation following a tryst that she had in a parking lot with a former student. She ended up uh, going back to prison, uh, gave birth to that. Yeah, students, baby. It, it I was think a, they're. To, I I believe I read something recently where they're together yeah, now. I think yeah, they they, I think they still are. And she gave birth in prison in October of 1998. So this topic seemed from to be ripped from the headlines. Trend. But even now, with uh, the heels of the Harvey Weinstein's and all of this, mm. um, women being taken advantage like this. Um, yeah, it's hard. We get a little glimpse of Allie. I don't. It's it's hard to watch. You really do feel her feelings a little in some regards. Even though she's not a reoccurring character, you do feel her struggle. And even hearing Meadow talk about how she's in love with him, that's even harder to hear because it makes it seem way more like a victim because she doesn't know any better. And if she is really in love with this coach, that's sad, you know, and that's not... It makes it... The empathy really pulled on me a little. And she, like, wanted to get the goal to prove to him. And I was like, ooh. She was worthy of yeah, him leaving just, his wife. It yeah. was tough. And for it such a manufactured sm- character, she still gave yeah, you all that emotion. I, yeah. In a very I thought short she, it was very oof. appearance. Yeah. I like the way they introduced him as someone who's very Virtuous. in the right, unimpeachable. And we kind of find out later on that he has... Falls from grace. Yeah, absolutely. It's always the ones that are so buttoned up that have totally. the biggest secrets. And then to, me, to me, and then we can move on, it's in some regards, you know, a metaphor of Tony. He's the coach of his family in some regard. And this coach is the coach of the team. Yeah. And I feel like it shows Tony in a way that he's less of a villain in some regards. He's the better coach. You know, he cares about his daughter. He wants, and Dr. Melvin's like, I'd rather talk about my daughter. Like, we actually see him, we feel like he's the champion and he's the better coach, which is funny that he represents the bad guy. I did do a quick peek at the actor that plays Coach Hauser, Kevin O'Rourke. Kevin O'Rourke, yeah. And he's been seen in some notable shows such as Veep, Boardwalk Empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
Law and Order, the SVU. <laughs> the SUV. <laughs> or is it the S? <laughs> the law. Uh, is that the reference? Yeah. Um, and even uh, The Irishman that's coming oh. out in 2019. And Heather Dante is another character that we're introduced to, Silvio's yeah, daughter. Yeah. Her real name is Jackie Tone, and she's currently in the Netflix in, series Glow. She's in Glow, huh? Really? I like Glow. Glow's good. I've never watched Glow's good. it. I'm, I'm very it. pro Alison Brie. Yeah. Mad Men? Yeah. And uh, I, I like wrestling, too, so... You can Mark Maron does a really good job on that show, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, you should check it out. It's I fun. It's it. very 80s, and I it's lightweight. Like you can just, it's like a, you can have a nightcap and just chill and watch it. Fair enough. Coach Hauser's house location. It's uh, one Lynn Court, Lincoln Park, for those of you that are really upset with him still. And it was spelled out. Like, one was spelled yeah. on yeah. the house. True. I that saw strange. that. That was weird, yeah. yeah. A couple of questions on this topic for you guys. When dropping off the TV in Coach's driveway, Polly calls himself Clarence. Is there anything to that? I think I just, that's, yeah, it, I think no, it's just a blue-eyed name. Like it's yeah. it's not an Italian yeah, name. Like, well, he calls him. Yeah. It's just I think it's just a funny retort. It was just a retort. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So this is kind of a deep, high-minded concept here. But oh. characters like Hauser come into the storyline almost as a device to peel back mm-hmm. another layer of Tony. This happens throughout the series. You're introduced to a character, and then that character's gone. Um, what does the Hauser situation teach us? about Tony, without getting into the Melfi and Artie showdowns, which we're going to talk about, what does the Hauser situation teach us about Tony? That not every single wrong needs to be righted by Tony. I think it's more there are other kinds of monsters, you know, and even when the FBI agent comes into the Bing, I caught that Tony, when he's leaving, goes, don't touch the girls. And this is before we know what Coach Hauser did. So it's kind of showing the different levels of evil in different ways. Like the FBI, we don't want, he's a bad guy too, because he's going to, you know, end up outing the mob. So it's, Coach Hauser to me is like, I see Tony as less of a villain for some reason. Very humanizing, right? Yeah. He's more He's like, a dad. He's a great dad. He wants yeah. to protect his daughter. That's exactly where I was going, Naya. And I, I, you set me up perfectly to let John Lovely. have the last word on the subject. Such a great dad. He didn't end up killing that guy. <laughs> <laughs> The next group together topic that I have is Tony's menace. So, and what I what I mean by that is the the look uh, that he had in his face with the guy who was wearing the baseball cap, and then this move, the decision, the initial decision to kill Hauser. You know, the way that he reacts to Artie by saying "I guarantee it," and just his reaction with Meadow when he storms out of the room, and she goes, "Oh my God, what have I done?" She even knew that that guy was his days were numbered. Carmela's outfit in that scene, FYI, that jumpsuit look. Thank like, you for going like a, where I wanted to go. Uh, that, it was like awkward. Seafoam green? Yeah, it was seafoam. Yeah. It was just, it was so distracting that I missed the whole dialogue the first time I watched it. it <laughs> but was you set this epic. up so that I have now permission to go there. It was like an so. 80s ski bunny look, you yes, know, in Jersey. It was, it was v- I'm really surprised you haven't mentioned Melfi's haircut yet. It she was does a little have a strange, Yeah, her bangs are a little yeah. off. Yeah. To me, throughout this whole scene, and the, and the one we'll talk about with the showdown at the end, she's got like a, like a superhero costume on because she, she basically saved this, she put Tony in a place that no one else has ever been able to put him, it seems like. I think her and Artie. Right. It's also interesting Carmela ends up in a a bathrobe. Maybe that's a Vic reach, but I do think it's interesting that a lot of the episodes start with Tony in a bathrobe and Carmela's wearing a bath. I mean, it's nighttime, I get it. It's a reach, but like, it's interesting that it ends with her in a bathrobe and he's on the ground. Like, it's a very, yes, maybe another reach. amazing scene. Thank you for <laughs> indulging my Vic reaches, guys. I'm so touched. This is amazing. <laughs> I had none, and you guys have already come up with four. <laughs> We're going to outreach your reaches. You're going to outreach me today, man. Um, so I don't know if you guys are doing this. This is a little, I'm disclosing a little bit of my tactics here. I watch it with closed captioning me on too, now. Me too, that's funny. 
question, so I'll segue to that, the hat. Tony asks, after the guy removes his hat, he asks the waiter to get him a bottle of Montepulciano. And I was just curious if anyone knew about this wine or its provenance. Is it like a popular Italian wine? It, I mean, it varies. It's actually from a region that my family's from in Abruzzo. It's an Abruzzo wine. It's kind of, there's a range, but it's kind of like a East Central middle. Italy or something? Yeah, it's yeah. like kind of a middle range wine. Like there's some expensive Montepulciano. So crazy, yeah, but it's like respectable. But it's a nice one. It's, it's a not five one. buck Chuck at Trader Joe's. No. Okay. But it's not the nicest. Right. Melfi's question to the, I'm going to ask Melfi's question to the group. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to restate her question. Yeah. Um, why does Tony feel like it's, that he's the one that needs to fix the Hauser problem? Why does Tony Soprano always have to set things right? Artie hits the nail on the head with this one. Something happens to him. Who's it going to help? Huh? His daughter? That girl? No. You, Tony. And Silvio. And me. And whoever. It's just going to make us feel better. So don't even think about calling his justice. Leave it to the cops. Selfish reasons to make himself feel better. He never had the makings of an athlete. He feels not good <laughs> enough. Cowboy artist. Yeah. What does Tony do if the guy doesn't take his cap off? I think he stands there for as long as he needs to. Well, until does he, he disrespect the place by getting physical? It's a good question. I what do you think he from said this whole to episode him? Is the situation is always implied threat throughout yeah. this episode, and it's likely scarier what he would have done than what he would have actually done. I was convinced I would have taken off my hat. Yeah, it was convincing, but the guy didn't actually see him. The guy's head was turned to him. The girl was freaking out. Yeah, but how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? It's just curious because Tony, in respect and the, his standards, I don't think he would have disrespected the place, but it wouldn't have ended well for that guy if he didn't remove his hat. He might have waited till he left the restaurant. It was a good long-term decision to take the hat off. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. It's true. Nice. And netted him a bottle of wine. Yeah. Um, what triggered the two guys sitting next to Tony and Artie as suspicious? I think it was just the way that they looked. Maybe Tony... You think it was pro- little, like one too many eye contacts? Tony probably has a knack for spotting people tailing him, following him, watching him. So he probably knew what was going on. Yeah, Yeah, he's probably a little paranoid too. It seems like a commonality in any sort of... uh, You see it in The Departed. They have a big conversation while they're standing outside. Uh, People are walking by. He's definitely a cop. He's a cop. No, you kind of know when you're living the life, right? You're going to know who's suspicious and who's not. Um, I'm jumping all the way to the end, the final episode, you guys. I'm not going to talk about it, but there is something that I read that blew my mind. It's why I was late with this last episode, and it was why I was late getting the notes to you guys, because it was like a 60-page tome. I'm going to send you guys the link. If you haven't read it, I don't encourage you to do it. It's very, (laughs) it's very, like, I'll I'll give you the Cliff Notes version maybe over dinner tonight, but the ending, when you, so think about, this scene, mm-hmm. tell them to check out their license plates and then think about the very last scene in the show. The only I'm going to say two words to you guys, uh, which changes everything, eye contact. Okay? That's all I'm going to say. Hmm. So anyway, uh, I'm making connections all the way to the end with this scene here. That's kind of why I wanted to, what I wanted to say. Um, 
One of the things you asked in your notes that I was curious because I couldn't think of anything was why does Tony keep encouraging Artie to put money on the street all the time? Is yeah. that for selfish reasons or does no. he just want Artie to he, be in the life? He feels like, he feels guilty for blowing up Vesuvio. Ah, so he's trying to figure out different ways without... To pay him back in a yeah, weird way? Yeah, he wants to pay him back. He feels really guilty and he found out the insurance money yeah, wasn't coming okay, through the way sense. that Tony was expecting. So his, his brilliant plan to blow up his friend's restaurant yeah, to save his business... That makes sense. I couldn't... Really Somehow get it. didn't work. Yeah. Why does Charmaine hate him? He asked that question. Like, what is it? Is it? it does do you think Tony knows because they had a thing and it ended badly? Or uh, maybe I, to some degree. He spends a lot of time this episode trying to put get him to put money on the street. And um, I I'm with you, yeah. Justin. That I, there's guilt, but I also feel part of me feels like, especially when you're the boss and you have people on the outside that kind of know what you're up to, you like to have your thumb on him a little bit. You think he wants to corrupt Artie? No, I think he wants, he wants to have his thumb from, yeah. on Artie. Meaning like, you're beholden to me now? You, you, you know, know? If, if it was anybody else, and maybe I've watched this series too many times and I know how it, it kind of ends in his interactions with Artie later on, but if it was anybody else, I'd agree with that premise. But Artie is somebody he holds to a different standard than any other relationship. Even Carmela, I think he holds Artie as his only conduit into the good, mm. the normal life. Which segues us to the this, the fourth topic, which is the, I call it the Melfi-Tony showdown mm -hmm. yeah. and the Artie-Tony showdown yeah. at the end. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the note that I have here is that Tony's moral centers, those are his two moral centers, mm -hmm. right? They coalesce together at the end to stop him from making an impulsive mistake. Um, the scene with when when Artie comes in to talk to Tony in the Bing, was that, was that, was that the back of the Bing or was it the back of the That was the Bing. Back was the of bing. The bing yeah. And then Tony says, Let me ask you a question. What the fuck do you think you are coming in here talking to me like this? Anybody else would have been dead or would have been dealt with, but all he does is shoe. And he kept turning around. Artie too, which and Artie because Artie knows yeah. that he has there's this there's this line that Artie can cross that no one else can. He already threw the prosciutto at Tony's face earlier on. So he's he, he knows know, he knows that he can cross the line. Um initial thoughts from the group, you guys, on this Melfi Tony discussion and on the Artie Tony discussion. I'd argue that most violence is driven by the thought that the perpetrator is doing something good and, and right. And Tony believes that because he's in a position where he can provide some civil justice. Uh, but I also think it's the crime that we're talking about. Yeah. And, and this one in particular, I think most people have a different set of rules um, for punishment. And this one in particular changes people's morals. So if it's Tony as a mob boss, I think you're going to get this type of reaction. I find it interesting that when Charmaine and Artie were talking in the garden, Artie asked Charmaine, who's worse? You tell me. Who's worse, Tony Soprano or that child molesting fuck? I trusted him. I'd like to rip his heart out of his chest. Jesus Christ, Arthur, you know, I cannot believe you only think about yourself. Myself? Myself? I resent that, Charmaine. And then with Dr. Melfi and Tony, Tony says, well, what are we going to do? We're going to, like, charge him and then say he's a victim he's because victim. of his emotional stability? So it's like, 
I don't know. It's interesting. It's like a weird parallel to Tony going to therapy and feeling bad about it, but it's helping him in some weird way. It's it goes good. all the way back to uh, one where, you know, Don Corleone is laying out the, the law of the land. This is, these are the businesses that we do and yeah. these are the things that we do, but these are the things that we don't do. Yeah. And yeah. We don't touch women. We don't hurt women. We don't disrespect. Yeah. The rules. So they're, they're, those are the rules. That's the, the unwritten law. Um, does this scene, do these two scenes establish firmly in your mind Tony's moral center? Oof. I think it, to me, how how family, his actual family means a lot to him. Like he protects his children in some regards. And that girl's an extension of Meadow because they're friends. Yeah. 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 Silvio even said that. That's why that kid slid her wrist, you stonard. My daughter should have to think about that filth. But they say that from the Bing. That's yeah. where I get well, this. Well, that's what's like, so ironic. Yeah. It's like fathers and their daughters. They, fathers never yeah. want to believe that they're having sex. Like even Tony tried to rationalize. Maybe, maybe, you know, Ali's a pretty girl. Like maybe he thought yeah. she, like he can't even really wrap bad. his like dad head around it. And, you know, Meadow even, I thought at the end, looking down, like she's a woman now. Like she's seen it. She gets it all. She knows things in some regard. And it's, you know, even, even already like, oh my God, my daughter, he took her home one night. Like they, it's such a father-daughter thing where they just want to like right. baby and protect them forever. And, and you know, so the, the Bing is, I, so I, I thought I've wrestled with that for a long time. Like it's so hypocritical, right? Totally. But, but the Bing is a business interest and not justifying it, but I'm just saying like it's, it's, paid it's business well. <laughs> and then his, his daughter's a different story. But then I'm also going to go to more currently, topically, Kanye West, who was recently asked about the song that he wrote in his last album about his daughter and how he doesn't want her to be all of the things that even her mother is right now. And he was asked by Jimmy Kimmel, who's the person yeah. who interviewed him like you know like does your daughter make you want to be a better man like are you are you changed and he's like well not really i still watch pornhub so <laughs> like so that's th that that has never changed that is always that is always going to be but when you have a daughter or if you have a daughter that's the exception doesn't make it okay doesn't mean it's right but everything else is fair game for all the other women except for my daughter and her friends and, and her that's cohort. to me like the moral of what are the moral compass of tony like we saw him in college with her but she was a child then she couldn't hold her liquor he had to take care of her and this she was the one that kind of you know, told, outed it with her yeah. friend, tried to protect her friend, you know, was, she's an adult. She mouthed off to the coach. She's in some ways is her father's daughter, you know? One of my favorite scenes is in this episode with Charmaine calling the bing. Arthur, what are you doing? You're going to stay in that bar all day? What? I'm shooting a little pool. Yeah, yeah, I'll rack them up for you. Yeah, but I thought we were supposed to be painting the trim on the patio. I bought the primer and I've been scraping. You have. Arthur, I could really use your help. All right. Sure, honey, I'll be right on. It's oh, one of yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Awesome. Who call a strip club? Charmaine. Well, Charmaine you, knows no exactly where, no she, where he is. No pages. Well, where it's so good. Yeah. How much does he love her, though, that he drops everything and he goes? You okay. know? Talk about a I'm, feminist. So let, let's be clear. Okay. They were pimping out one of the dancers to the coach yeah. that was probably around the same age of their daughters. Yeah. So again, you want to talk about if you want to talk about the hypocrisy too, like there's a scene right before you are introduced to Brandy dancing. Yeah. Right before that, Tony's clapping and saying, Good job, girls, yeah, at the soccer yeah. game. Cut yeah. to Such a great Brandy cut. on the yeah. pole. Such which a great is cut. very important juxtaposition that And Jamie even Chase don't is touch the girls, it's like ah you pointed this out to us earlier. He says to Vin McKenzie not to touch the girls, but he's like hugging the wrong and one. coddling the wrong one. Brandy on his own. Like the, like he, she yeah. was a piece uh, of the way that he treats Vin. That's um, so good. I also found interesting how Arthur and the coach like resist 
the lifestyle and in the episode before Chrissy wants the lifestyle so bad like I thought it was really interesting that you know Arthur tries so hard to stay out and you know everyone's trying to keep him in and like yeah. Chrissy the one before he's an artiste he, yeah but like everyone wants to be in so hard you know, it's so a, interesting he's a deep dive of the clothing that everyone was wearing at that scene and I think it was either from Soprano's Autopsy or mm. another article I read and Tony and Silvio are wearing darker yeah. colors but um Artie and Hauser were wearing these pastel colors. That was, it was autopsy. Sort of, yeah, it yeah. was that autopsy. Oh, yeah. It was a good Very look. interesting um, yeah. uh, compare and contrast. Did Melfi have a duty to report Tony to the authorities in this instance? This is a Dr. Pachtman corner here, but it felt like he was close to that line. She has a duty if he says outright, this is what I'm going to do. So he has, or she, to I don't think she would, it. though. Well, it's a really but great area because there's right? intent. There's, well, but he didn't well, deny this it. Is, this is... This is Vic Esquire territory. So Vic Esquire, that's I, a great title. I, I would have. I, so I, I, I would, want that shirt. Sorry, okay. I would have. Uh, let's make it. Let's make <laughs> it happen. I would have reported my client, or I would, what I would have done is I would have withdrawn from the representation. Remember we uh, talked about that. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just it's 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 a judgment call. And if she knew about the actions that Tony was about to take. And she knows the she knows the indictments are are pending. Sure, but if she knew that he was about to s- commit this specific crime and she didn't report it, then she would be culpable and she would totally. she would face some, some totally. Criminal she would be charges, under yeah. investigation from the medical board. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so my personal opinion, again, this is TV, but I feel like that was a reportable offense. Um, if Artie doesn't come by, does Tony let Silvio proceed? Was Melfi's talk enough? No. No. It I don't took think two. So. I it think, took a village. I think it took John, a woman, which I thought was interesting. I, <laughs> I, I watched the montage of him trying to make the decision on his own, and I sort of came with the grip that maybe he drank too much and just never made it that far to make the phone call. I think it's the opposite. I think he drank so much he because he didn't it. make the phone call, and he was... Probably in one in one way proud of his actions because he's bragging about it to Carmela at the end saying Carmela. <sighs> Carmela. I didn't hurt nobody. He's at the same time, yeah, he's drowning his his own sorrows away because he felt like I let this one go. Does Artie go to Tony if the Charmaine-Artie garden conversation doesn't happen? Did Charmaine propel no. Artie to go to Tony? Yes, Charmaine propels Artie to do most things. So he wouldn't have done it. That's, yeah, so that's in this case, probably true. <laughs> <laughs> the women both times, yes. Melfi and Charmaine are both kind of the heroes yeah. and Artie by proxy because, okay. And it ends with Carmela looking like a statue that Tony's like praising and kissing her feet, which I find just like... Oh, well, yeah. Good observation. Like an overhead. Like, yeah. Jeez. You asked if uh, she's looking up at Meadow. I don't know yeah, what yeah, you guys that's, think. That's the next topic. Oh, okay. the, the final sequence. Okay, so we're actually, perfect segue. The final sequence, drunk Tony. Okay? Uh, just to set it up real quick, this is what I call a low-key, deeply powerful and layered moment in the show. Um, it seems like a throwaway scene. The show's about to end. Let's cut to. But it's actually very, very profound loaded. in my opinion. The line, I didn't hurt nobody, mm. is so loaded. And the fact that the choice was made to let Meadow overhear that, the fact that you just mentioned statuesque Carmela towering over him and then looking up, and uh, I have a question about that in a moment. Um, so Tony comes in shit Faced, right? He's basically dealing with the he that was the way that he dealt with his disability. 
decision not to pull the trigger. He's watching this guy get arrested. Um, who reported him, by the way? Was it, who was the daughter, that, who was the girl that was too young because of her age? Was it Meadow? Or was it the alley that went directly to the feds? I don't think that they mentioned They didn't. That's what I'm just asking. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think they weren't allowed to because of the age. But yeah, I do I, think it, was, it wasn't Meadow. Well, no, they said they or, couldn't. Because say yeah. Allie's name oh, because okay. she the was victim. she was the victim and she was Under of a certain age. age. Yeah. Um, so Tony mixes Xanax and alcohol, which we know. I'm sorry, mom. I know from personal experience is not a good thing. Um, let's or sometimes see. can be. You could look at it both ways. That's I true. Guess. That's true. There's, there's degrees, right? There's degrees. You have to know. Um, to I love the little mu- the jazz musical choice at the end. There's a little interlude. There's a little jazz interlude before totally. the uh, morphine song comes in. I tried to shazam it because there was nothing written about it, but I didn't get anything, but it was a beautiful little piece of music. I was trying to figure out what he was singing. I couldn't finish. I couldn't get it. The Sopranos autopsy. Okay, before I lead in with these questions, um, when Tony comes in the house, there's another high camera angle, okay, which is the same high camera angle that uh, we see Junior after he walks out with Bobby, okay? Um, Mm. And uh, he is using it to explain the direct contrast to the low camera angle used to show Tony while he was making decisions in, in the in the Bing. So when you see him at the pool table with the ball, it's a low camera angle. But when he comes home, it's high camera angle. And he's suggesting some sort of reference to divinity, to divine intervention, which was interesting. What is your reaction? I'd like to hear from all of you. Just what's your reaction to his statement on the ground before he passes out, I didn't hurt nobody. My reaction to that statement is kind of on face value of what he's, you know, I didn't hurt anybody. I think Carmela and both Meadow probably thought that that was going to be his his reaction. But I, what I found interesting about that scene, and we see it a couple times throughout the series, Meadow is, is always randomly running into, not running into Tony, but seeing Tony and catching him while he's in a state of inebriation on drugs. There's a couple of, there's a couple of interesting nights that they have together where Tony's really drunk and kind of opening up a little bit to her. We also see it in reverse in the college episode where, where Meadows being taken care of by Tony. So I I find it interesting that there's always a, a vulnerability that, Tony has with Meadow that he doesn't really experience with anybody else in the entire series outside of maybe Melfi. I totally agree. I think it's really fascinating just literally watching Tony try to struggle with what to do. But I also think we've met Meadow in such a strong way. And in this, like all I wrote at the end was like, she's a woman now. And like parents try to protect their kids from everything and he can't. And in some regards, we know as the viewer, she's, she's can take care of herself she is her father's daughter, you know, like, and even, I don't know if it's this episode, Tony's like, I got a son for a couch potato. Cause like girl soccer, really, this is, I would never expect, like she's the, the, the right kid to go next. Like AJ's not, you know, the heir in some weird way. And I think Meadow Very is true. such a, I felt that way since the beginning. Yeah. Her. And yeah. like you, to me, it's, it's crazy that he decided not to hurt someone. It is surprising. But to me, it was more kind of what he's saying about Meadow where she, she could take care of herself, and I don't think he knows that. So Carm mm. looks up at the end. Does she, is she looking at Meadow? I think she must. I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't know. I, I, I feel like it is. It's, it, I am exaggerating the obvious here, but it's or overcomplicating what is probably pretty simplistic, mm. but I just felt like it was a very powerful scene. And also um, future, she always says Meadow blames her. Like, she's talking to me. She's mad at mm. me. So maybe there. this is like, you know, the beginning of 
I know you saw this. Your father's a mess mobster, you know? Don't blame me. The guilt. I don't know. Another thing that you notice about this final scene, which becomes a motif in the show, is that the end credits start to run before the show ends, and it kind of leads in. And there's a really beautiful Niels Lofgren song, Black oh, Books. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, I always think of, when I think of the end credits, I'm always waiting to hear when they're going to cue the music. And this was the first example in, in the season one where they kind of, they marry the music and the final scene together. It was really crazy. What about, what about when Tony's singing the James Brown, There Was a Time? Yeah. Doing the camel walk. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So jo- Tony, uh, James Gandolfini has, actually has a singing credit, if you look it up. This, Amazing. When really? he's singing the... the he studied musical uh, down, theater. Down, down Under, Down oh. South, the golf when he's when they're golfing. Oh, yeah. That's south a James Gandolfini singing singer's yeah. credit, South of the Border. That's it for the for topic five. I have a couple of miscellaneous questions for you guys, and then we'll do a last call. Tony conducts his meetings at Green Grove. This is something that we see at the very beginning. He conducts his meetings at Green Grove to avoid Fed surveillance, right? Larry Boy Barisi's got his mom there, so they can basically talk without being under Jimmy the Jimmy Altieri too. Jimmy Altieri, so they can be outside of the purview yeah. of the law, right? Um, oh, I have one observation earlier. This is this would fit in the uh, Boca theme where. Carmela tells Tony about Junior, and they're laying in bed, and above their bed is a portrait, and that was a, it was very Caravaggio-esque, again, it's a hideous portrait, I mean, it's beautiful, <laughs> it's but it's the wrong hideous. picture to have above your bed, yeah. but I, I think that there's a, there's a Caravaggio thing going on, and I looked up, I looked it up, I went ahead, there'll be more of this, but I just wanted to point out that observation, because we mentioned it a few episodes ago. What it is really the, it looked again. like a bunch of nuns. A bunch of, I think it's, it was actually a bunch of women, women. Uh, four women, it kind of reminded me of Handmaid's Tale almost, Yikes. a little bit. Um, they were standing but, around talking about uh, their husbands going down that was the, each other. That was the nail parlor. <laughs> Maybe that was the For plate. sure, there's a reason why we saw that it. That was the nail parlor reason. in the olden days. See, I knew if I asked the question, you guys would be able to close the loop mm-hmm. for me. Totally. I do think it's good to know that Tony goes down once a year on Carmella. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Once he a year. He didn't like that comment too no, much. He didn't, no, but he, no he, he ends up having a little smirk at the end. We've seen AJ and his friends and his cohort and his life, and now we've seen Meadow and her friends and her cohort and her life. I feel like the family dynamic is established. We've had, we've now been able to sit down with them and have several dinners. And we it's are also all the women of Tony. Just these are all these are all the women in his life that running everything. Yeah, running him too, affecting it all. And again, I'm going to float the final just thought. If you guys don't have anything else, that that Big Puss is conspicuously absent from this episode but um it's interesting he shall return he shall return as far as episodes go this wasn't i mean i was waiting for someone to say this i'm not sure we needed an entire episode dedicated to how seriously performing oral sex can compromise a uh, guy's reputation i think we could uh, do a whole podcast on it (laughs) (laughs) the episode will air quotes go down as a humorous but forgettable episode i mean i think we moved the season plot line along but we'd didn't really show us anything in this episode. Well, this is this was an episode about rising tensions. It's mm-hmm. setting yeah. it's setting something up. It's setting Slow up. Burn. Yeah, it's setting Slow up burn. a final showdown. It's also we just came from a very serious episode. You know, Good the, point. this one. You know, there's so much layered in it to me, and like the women have such a the, he does it in such a way you don't even know it's a feminist episode because it's still cheeky and funny and kind of slutty in some regard. But he makes it palpable for yeah, all audiences. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's a little palate cleanser in a actually, way. I love it. <laughs> there you go. 
air high five. No, I, I was feeling the same thing that you were, John, that I was like, ah, this episode is just kind of not doing it for me. But like upon reflection and like synthesizing the notes and then after having this discussion, I think, Justin, you've converted on a couple of episodes after having the discussion too. Yeah. I actually respect this episode a lot because it's ambitious, it's forward thinking, it sets the agenda, and it also makes you forget about this other stuff that's coming back. Yeah. There's going to be a huge wave, a huge break happening. Again, we mentioned with with, with Big Puss, or we mentioned the showdown between Livia uh, 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 Junior and Tony, and you needed a palate cleanse it's, to kind of get ready for that. Yeah, it's also just a really funny episode. Yeah, the subject line of this episode is just so funny. It's oral sex, and it's about teasing a yeah. guy about it, and it's about teasing a guy about psychotherapy. And you can say what you want about the the serious nature of that, but it's it's just people giving each other a hard time. I, I thought it was one of the funnier episodes of the series. And up until now, I don't know about you guys, but we kind of are, I, I'm kind of annoyed with Carmela. She's kind of a, like a, a bratty, yeah, sort yeah. of irritating person. Yeah. She had like levity and humor and she like did. confidence. And they had a moment on the bed together where they were, there was like, you it was fun. It was a fun episode. She got to kind of like, she got to kind of unrobe to use yeah. the metaphor. Yeah. And it was, it was nice. It was a nice, but I'm with you on the whole thing. Like it didn't have the heft that the other episodes have had. Yeah. And coming off of Moltisanti, you kind of feel like, ooh, like how do you top that? And maybe in his, in their defense too, just to like beat this home, he didn't want to compete with the legend of Tennessee Moltisanti because that was a magical episode, right? So maybe he's like, you know what? Let's go to Florida for a week. Let's pack it in. Let's go to Florida. Fuck this. I'm going to I'm Boca. I'm going to Boca. <laughs> I think we should end on that note, actually. Yes. As always, guys, it's been a pleasure. We'll be back next week with episode 10. And thanks for being on the journey with us. Keep it up. Ciao. Fuck this. I'm going to Boca. Boca. <laughs>